Well, hello everyone. Jeff Kerr here, Homestead Community Church. Um, I'm talking to you, the online audience, if you are listening to this on podcast or on our website, because we uh, had our church service a couple days ago and there was a, a recording glitch, a recording error with the equipment. And so we didn't get the sermon recorded, so I am re recording it today, speaking to an empty room live, but assuming that there are millions of you listening online right now. So I wanted to re-record this, just give you uh, our final message on our Out of the Pit series. This is part four. Um, if you are listening to this for the first time today, you are coming in at the end of the story, the end of the movie. So I encourage you to go back and listen to parts one, two, and three of this series, Out of the Pit. It's been a great series for our church. I'm not sure if you have connection with Homestead Community Church or if you are friend or family member of ours listening from a long ways away, but uh, if you're in the area, we invite you to join us. We'd love to have you Sunday mornings. We have our services at 1115. We meet at Faith United Methodist Church in Farmington, Minnesota. Um, so a little recap for our series. Uh, part one, uh, we talked about how, do, how did I get here? Mental illness, as far as anxiety, depression, there are other uh, forms of mental illness, but we talked about how did I get here? We talked about how this is an illness. There are physical, emotional, spiritual, medical causes to these um, mental illnesses that we face. There are also physical, emotional, spiritual, and medical ways to treat them. Um, but really, right from the get-go, we wanted everyone to know as a part of this series that if you are struggling with uh, anxiety or depression, you are not alone. There is often a stigma attached to mental illness, and we want to do our part to remove that and bring it into the light and just have open and honest conversations and let people know you are not alone if you are struggling with this. Week two, we asked the question, how long will I be here? How long will I be here in the midst of a struggle, whether it's mental illness or any struggle we go through? Um, if you go through a battle or a trial or a dark season of life for any, for any long period of time, it's so easy to start believing the lies. There was two lies that we talked about. The first one is this, that God has forgotten about me. And the second one is this, that life is not worth living. So I encourage you, I want to reiterate to you, if you're listening today, if you are in the midst of a struggle and you're believing one of those lies that God has forgotten about you or that your life is not worth living, don't believe the lie, but we counter the lies with truth. We counter the lies with the truth of God's word, who he is, God's character. We counter it with the truth of who you are in Christ what the Word of God says about you as a child of God. And the third question we asked was, how do I get out of here? This was a message taught by the lovely Christy Kerr, who is my wife. She spoke last week, asked the question, how do I get out of here? When we are in the pit, when we are in the pit of depression or anxiety, the only way out is if somebody lowers a rope and pulls you out. Um, we don't have to climb out ourselves. We can't climb out ourselves so often. But yet we know that there are ways that a rope can be lowered to us. So the point that Christy made in her sermon last week, very simple point, and it was this, grab the rope. 
grab the rope. Now this looks different for everyone in regards to mental illness. This might be talking to a counselor. This might just be a prolonged season of rest. This might be talking to a doctor about getting on some medicine. This can be going back into your past and dealing with some trauma or some unforgiveness that has not been dealt with. But whatever, whatever that looks like for you, the, the lesson of last week's message was very simple. Grab the rope. Do something. Bring your struggle into the light. Take a step forward. Uh, each week in our series, we had someone sharing their story. Week one, Liz shared her story about uh, going through panic attacks and anxiety. Week two, Brooke shared her story about going through trauma in her life, which led to a season of depression, something that she still deals with. Last week, my brother-in-law, Rick, shared about his about with depression and how that was manifesting itself in him in, in the area of anger, just being angry. He did a great job sharing, and I'm glad he brought up the topic of addiction, how often we can medicate ourselves and try to numb the pain without actually getting to the root cause of things, and he did a great, shot, a great job sharing that. Now, unfortunately today, since I am re-recording this message, we don't have um, my friend Ashley Stevens to share... Uh, what she shared on Sunday at our church. She is a social worker with Dakota County Health Services, and she gave a couple um, just insights as far as how we can help others. So I'll try to include a few of those today in my message. All right, so here we go, jumping in. Week four, we asked the question so far, how did I get here? How long will I be here? How do I get out of here? And today, as we wrap up this series, we ask this question, how can I help others? How can I help others if they're struggling? A struggle with depression or anxiety, if you've experienced this, you know that it is not simply an individual struggle, something that we face by ourselves that doesn't affect anybody else. It affects those around us. It affects others. When a father is feeling depressed, the family is affected. His marriage is affected. His kids are affected. When it's one of your kids that is dealing with anxiety or depression, it adds immense strain on you. It adds strain on your marriage. As parents, we ache when our kids are struggling, don't we? When, when our kids are going through something, there's not a moment, at least if you're a good parent, that you wouldn't say, I would much rather have this struggle be my struggle than one of my kids. I would much rather experience this than have my kids go through this. Families are affected with mental illness. Communities are affected. Jobs and finances are often affected by mental illness. And loved ones want to help, but often we don't know the best way to help. We don't know the best ways to help. I've mentioned a few things uh, in the weeks past of, of well-meaning people that try to help, but they often don't know how to help, and so they just kind of have this quick expertise answer, well, you know what you need to do, since you're struggling with depression, just think positive. Or you know what you need to do, just go to the gym, just go for a jog, or just spend more time at church, or just take a nap, or just buy these essential oils that I am conveniently selling out of the trunk of my car. You know, a very, um, very quick expertise, quote-unquote, answer. And uh, oftentimes, the, the person who's struggling hears that and thinks, man, these people don't really know what I'm feeling at all. Oftentimes, a, a, a word or a comment meant to help can actually do more harm than good. 
Um, it can leave the depressed person feeling more isolated, realizing, man, I don't think anybody really knows how I'm feeling. So as we dive into this question today, let's start with this. We recognize that it is important that we help. We might not know the best way to help. We might not know the right way to help, but we need to know that it is important that we help. As people of faith, as people who are followers of Jesus, what is core to our faith is that we help others. This is foundational to Christianity. This is foundational to the teachings of Jesus, this idea that loving others, we love others, we prefer others, we give our lives for others, we love others the same way that we love ourselves. This is the teaching of Jesus. We see this in the Gospels, John 13, 34, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. John 15, verse 12 and 13 says this, my command, again, he's talking that new command, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Those words that Jesus uses there in the Gospel of John, a new commandment, this would have perked the ears of the Jewish audience listening to this. Um, if they were a Jewish person, a devout Jewish person, they would have known the law. They would have known the laws, the commandments. This would have been their entire faith was learning not only the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, but the other 600 plus laws and commandments that you would have had to follow if you were to be a devout religious Jewish person. This, their faith would have been all about commandments. So all of a sudden, Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you. Everyone would have leaned in and listened like, wow, we haven't had a new commandment in hundreds of years. And Jesus is saying this new commandment is all about how you help and treat and love other people. In fact, Jesus says this is the defining commandment. This is the defining factor of how people will know whether or not you are one of my people. This is the identifier for who is a Christian, who is a Christ follower, and that's this. If you love one another, he said it in those words in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the identifier for people of faith for Christians. Galatians 6.2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now this is specifically talking about when a brother and sister in Christ are struggling, when others are down, we bear their struggles with them, we empathize with them, we have care and concern, we do something about it. We don't just say, oh, we mean well and oh, we're concerned about you. We bear their burdens, we pick them up, we help. So in regard to mental illness, we need to help others, but it can be often so difficult to know how to do it. And maybe you're listening to this and you have been in a season of depression or anxiety, or maybe a loved one has, and you can relate to this of, yeah, I want to help, but I often don't know the best way to do it. So I'm just going to give a few practical thoughts on the matter a few practical thoughts. This, these aren't like straight out of the scripture. These are just some practical thoughts as I've been reading and praying and studying about this. So often how we respond makes 
all the difference. Don't respond in anger or frustration. If a loved one is struggling with depression or anxiety, responding in anger or frustration is just going to exacerbate the situation. Emotions are already clouded when dealing with mental illness, and so our response has to be filled with love and grace and understanding. This is where the fruit of the Spirit comes into play. We spent several weeks over the spring and summer talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and certainly in regards to mental illness and helping those we love, these fruits of the Spirit, patience, gentleness, meekness and kindness and self-control, certainly those come into play when we're dealing with a loved one who is struggling. And if you are a loved one, if you're trying to help someone and you do respond in a poor way, you do respond in a negative manner or you react out of frustration or emotion, well, be the first to apologize. Be quick to apologize. Don't give it like the phony baloney apology, which we see certainly in our world today, certainly in this politically charged culture that we live in, or maybe it's a celebrity that messes up or, or somebody famous or wh whoever it is, you see it on TV, they always give kind of the phony baloney apology. And it's always, well, I'm sorry if, there's always an if in there. I'm sorry if you were offended by this. Well, I'm sorry if you're so sensitive that my words caused hurt in you. No, don't apologize like that. That's lame apologies. Apolog apologize for real. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry I reacted that way. And uh, when you do that, I think a, a tense situation can often be you know, calmed down so quickly by just a real apology. I want, one of the things I want my kids to learn from, from me is that, yeah, when I mess up, when dad messes up, he's going to be quick to apologize. Yeah, I messed up. I want my kids to learn that that's okay to apologize for stuff when they, when they say something or do something wrong. Uh, another thing, with my kids, if they're struggling with some sort of anxiety or depression, my goal as the dad is to keep the lines of communication open. And so often that's, you know, hinging on whether or not I react in calmness or in anger. I mean, if I can react in calmness and encouragement, I think that helps keep the lines of communication open between parent and kid. And man, when your kid is going through stuff, that can be so, so tough. Each of our kids um, at a certain age have gone through different bouts with anxiety. I think all of our kids right around the third grade for like clockwork, really, for whatever reason, they just started feeling anxious about being away from mom and dad. They started feeling anxious about going to school, about being with friends, like just out of nowhere, that same age, each of our kids walked through that. And when you see your kids struggle with that, man, that can be tough. But as, my, as their dad, I want to keep the communication lines open. I want my kids to know that I am there to talk to no matter what. And so the last thing I want to do is erupt in anger or in a way that sends the message to my kid that they should not talk to me about this. And I'm sure there's been times where I could have probably been sterner or um, had more consequences with them, with their poor decisions or with their actions. But if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side that keeps communication happening. Another thing when it comes to our kids, 
Christy and I, we monitor their lives. Now, this sounds creepy. This isn't like overbearing parent, or I guess maybe it could be, but <laughs> I don't think it is. Maybe all overbearing parents think the same thing. Well, it's not me. It's other, it's other parents that are way creepy in this regard. But in regards to their lives, I want to know who they're spending time with. I want to know what's happening at school. I want to know what they're watching, what they're listening to. If there's stuff in their life that is harmful, I want to know about it. We'll spend time talking about their day at school. How did your day go? How's your heart? What happened with your friends? Anything going on we need to know about? If, I'm, if they're on, I mean, in this day and age with electronic devices, they spend a lot of time um, on electronic devices. They have to do it for school and homework, and then they also do it for entertainment and keeping in touch with their friends. But I want to know what apps are on their phones. I want to know what text messages they're sending to their friends. We have a very, a very clear policy in the Kerr family that we get to see your text messages anytime. There's actually a, they don't know this, and I can say this because I'm not speaking to a live audience right now and hope, I don't think they would be listening to this online. We have one of our computers, because we all are connected with our Apple IDs, um, one of our computers gets all the text messages. So I don't look at it all the time, but if my kids are struggling or I think something might be wrong, I'll go in there and I'll look at the, the thread of text messages. What's going on? Is there drama with a friend? This might be crossing the line in your opinion of overbearing parent. It is not, in my opinion. I want to know what's going on in my kids' lives. It is tough being a kid, a teenager these days with with the media, with the internet, with social media, with apps on smartphones, with the expectations of peers. We talk about this with our kids. Internet, what is appropriate to look at on there. Talk about sexual purity in our family once our kids get old enough to understand this conversation. We talk about alcohol, the abuse of alcohol. So all this to say, parents, engage with your kids. Don't miss this one. This can't be something that you put on the back burner. This can't be something that you just don't feel like engaging with, and so you just kind of leave it alone and hope for the best. You have to engage with your kids. Open lines of communication are going to be so key in navigating through childhood years, teenage years, especially if they start dealing with a, a a depression or anxiety, having those open lines of communication so solid, so solidified, that is going to go a long way. I got a newsflash for you. At the end of your life, you are not going to look back on your life and revel in all those softball games that you were a part of or revel in that you were a five-time back-to-back fantasy football champion or revel in all the good career moves that you made, but you are going to look back at the end of your life and look at how you poured into your kids. You're gonna look at how you raised your kids. You're gonna, if, you're gonna wonder, God, did I, do it, did I do everything I could to set my kids up to have a strong faith, to have strong character? You're gonna look back on your life and this is the thing that's gonna be important to you. So connect with them connect with them. Sometimes it's hard to know how to connect with one of your kids. All of our kids are so different. I have a unique way of trying to connect with each of them. Unique things, that unique interests that we have in common. Unique things that we can talk about. But spend the time learning how to connect with your kids. Encourage them. Speak life into them. Speak worth and value into them. Now, I've heard some people say that if you parent well, if you parent well, then your kids aren't going to have problems. 
And I think that's baloney. I'm, I think the best parents all would acknowledge, yeah, our kids still struggle. Our kids still struggle. Good connections with your kids isn't going to prevent struggles. It's not an immunity to depression or anxiety in them. But good connections with your kids will help them through those struggles when they face them. Keep the lines of communication open with your kids. And finally, pray, pray, pray. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. There are so many times I don't know how to help my kid. There are so many times I'm a loss, at, a, at a loss as a parent and I don't know what to do. Pray. Pray for your kids. So in regard to helping others, how do we help others? I think one of the best things that we can do is to just respond like Jesus would respond. To be familiar with how he interacted with people in the New Testament. He reacted with compassion and love. He didn't sweep things under the rug. He didn't ignore difficult conversations. But he always responded with encouragement and love and mercy. There's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The goal for all of us is to finish this race. The Bible talks about how our life of faith is like a race. And so the goal for all of us, is to not, it's not about finishing first. It's the goal that all of us in a community of faith, and so I said this to our church on Sunday, each of us at Homestead Church, we want to finish this race well. And so oftentimes it comes, there comes a moment when someone's struggling and we spur them along. So we rally around those who are struggling, who are weary. Hebrews 10, 24 again says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So as we look at that uh, verse again that I read a few minutes ago in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Um, how do we do this? How do we spur one another on? How do we bear one another's burdens without being overwhelmed by other people's burdens? If you are a sensitive person, if you are a sensitive soul, if you have the gift of mercy and compassion, you know this. My wife is this way. I am not so strong in the gifts of mercy and compassion, but my wife is. And when she is talking to people who are struggling, so easily she can carry their burdens and not only carry them, but be weighed down. She feels everything they're feeling. And this can be difficult to do when you're trying to help someone in depression or anxiety. How do you help them? How do you carry their burdens without being weighed, by, weighed down by their burdens? With it's our kids. How do we help our kids without, as parents, being weighed down by the stress that this brings into our lives? Well, I want to tell you this today. You can encourage, and you can love, and you can spur one another on, but it does no good if carrying other people's burdens or dealing with other people's struggles leads us to completely fall apart. Now, this is where, once again, our faith in God comes in as people of faith. This is where our faith in God comes in. We help others, but we realize we are not equipped to carry their burdens for them. We help them carry their burdens. But most importantly, we help others bring their burdens to Christ. If we are feeling weighed down by other people's burdens, we lay those at the feet of Jesus and we say, God, once again, I trust that you are working in this, that you are equipped to carry their burdens. Not me, but you are equipped to carry their burdens. 
So we lay down our burdens. You help other people through their mental illness, through depression, anxiety, whatever struggle they're facing. And at the end of the day, you lay it down before Jesus and say, I can't carry this alone. Jesus, you have to move in this situation. And we are reminded in those times that God is at work in all circumstances. He's not just working on your friend who is dealing with depression. He's not just working on one person at a time. He's working in the situation where people are facing depression. He's working with your child who is facing anxiety. And he's also working in you, wanting your faith to grow, wanting you to find more ways to put your trust in him, your level of trust increasing in him, your level of rest in him increasing. He is at work in this situation in everybody involved. So encourage your kids and help them. If your kids are struggling, do what you can to communicate, to carry their burdens, to lift them up, to encourage them. But also, you got to trust that God is at work in them. You encourage them and you pray for them. You don't fear, but you trust God. You don't fear, but you trust that God is working in your kids. As you help others, as you bear one another's burdens, you might, be, um, you might be feeling weighed down, but you have to be anchored in God. You have to be able to lay down your burdens. As you help others, you must be anchored in God. Allow him to carry your burdens. Allow his faithfulness to fill you with peace and trust. As we wrap up today, we're going to wrap up this series. I want to remind you, if you're listening to this, you are not alone in your struggle. There is hope. There is help. There are loved ones in your life who care about you. There is a church community here that loves and supports you. Maybe you're listening to this and you don't live near Farmington, Minnesota. Find a Bible-based church community that can rally around you. There are resources for you. Reach out to county agencies. Reach out to counselors and other resources that you have. There are experts who can help you. Talk to your doctor. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a friend or a loved one or a spouse. Bring it into the light. And finally, there is a God who loves you, who made you, who created you, who gave his life for you, who has called you and given you a hope and a future. As we wrap up, I want to read these words from Psalm 121. These are words that I have prayed every, every week leading up, to this, uh, leading up to our Sunday service as we've been in this series. I've been praying these words over our church. And in a minute, I'm going to pray these words over you if you're listening to this. But Psalm 21, sorry, Psalm 121 says this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. That's a great chapter, but what I love most about that chapter, how it applies to dealing with depression and anxiety, is verse 6 of that chapter. Psalm 121, verse 6, says this, The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Interesting words there. I get the sun part. 
I get the sun part. Overexposure to sun can have some drastic effects, especially in this part of the world where the scriptures were written back then, in a very hot desert, desert climate. Exposure to the sun was something that needed to be guarded against. You needed to have shelter from the sun. I get it. And so the words ring true. The sun will not harm you by day. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. But then he says, the, nor, the writer of this psalm says, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And I read that and I think, well, what's the big deal about the moon? Since when did the moon harm anybody? But what this verse is saying is this. God will protect you from the sun, meaning everything that you can see, everything that you're going to face during the day, anything that's going to come in contact with you head on, stuff that you face, the real battles that you see throughout your day, God's going to protect you from those. But then God will also protect you from the unseen things, things that attack you in the middle of the night, things that exist in the darkness. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. In that culture, the moon was a symbol of darkness and evil. Specifically, the moon was a symbol of mental illness. The mentally ill were described as lunatic, and the word lunatic from the, comes from the Latin word luna, or moon. It's the same Latin word that we get lunar when we're talking about the moon. The moon was associated with mental illness in that culture. So it is so significant that the writer of this psalm, in talking about God's protection, includes that line, the sun will not harm you by day, everything you face in physical reality, God's going to protect you, nor the moon by night, that which comes in darkness, that which attacks the mind, mental illness, when you are feeling alone, when you are feeling in darkness, in the middle of the night, you know that God is your protector. In the midst of a mental illness, everything can feel dark, like you're trapped in your own mind. The sun will not harm you by day, and the moon will not harm you by night. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord in the middle of a long, sleepless night when you feel completely alone, the words of that psalm ring true. He who watches over you does not sleep, does not slumber. God is not asleep on the job. He is watching over you. His angels are watching over you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for whoever is listening to this message, and I pray the words of Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. He is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, I pray these words of truth over this audience who is listening today. Amen. Amen. God bless you.